the HD Movie Podcast may contain mature content, strong language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to episode 96 of the HD Movie Podcast. I'm Darren Gaskell. And I'm Hayley Alice Roberts. And in this episode, we finally get to the bottom of the mystery of who the cool rider is. We're taking a look at 1982's Grease 2, directed by Patricia Birch. In the words of one of the songs in this movie, let's bowl, let's bowl, let's rock and roll. It's time to discuss Grease 2, the much maligned sequel to the widely regarded as a classic original. But is the second one better than the first one? We're going to get into this. And while we strive to resolve the mystery of who the cool rider could be, we have a very cool rider of our own back tonight, everybody. There is a synopsis written by the one, the only, Nick Briganis, and I'm so pleased that he has written a synopsis for this film in particular. So, what does Nick have to summarise the plot of Grease 2? Two years after the life-altering events in Grease 1978, Sandy's cousin Michael, a straight-laced English student, is the new guy at Rydell High. Stephanie, the pink lady's foxy blonde leader, is about to break up with Johnny, the T-Bird's leader, but she still likes her men dangerous. Even as Michael starts to attract her attention, now Michael needs to up his game, learn how to ride a motorcycle and transform himself into Stephanie's hot leather clad fantasy. Is he up to the task? <laughs> as usual, top synopsis from Nick Reganus. It's great to have one of his summarisations of movies on this. Is he up to the task? Well, the character is generally up to the task. Not entirely sure that Maxwell Caulfield is up to the task because in terms of star power it's fairly clear that Michelle Pfeiffer was going to go on to much bigger and much better things than this you can just tell that from her performance in this movie Maxwell Caulfield slightly different proposition somebody in the press quite meanly suggested that he'd got all the charisma of Pia Zadora that was the level of stardom he was aiming at I think that's quite mean don't mind Piers Adora's stuff, to be perfectly honest. Having said that, <laughs> Grease 2 is a movie that every time I watch it, I'm stunned by how terrible it is. But at the same time, I do really enjoy watching it because it's so bad. It does that flip where it's so bad, it's really great and it's very entertaining. And you can't tell me that they didn't put some of these sequences in this movie without having their tongue firmly in their cheek because nobody is going to suggest some of the stuff that goes on in this movie and think this is to be taken at all seriously. I think the issue basically for me when I first saw it is that 
Maxwell Caulfield is not John Travolta. You've got somebody with the star power and charisma of Travolta. How do you follow that? You don't. Quite like the idea that they gender flipped it. So the cool one really is Michelle Pfeiffer's character. So it's a rerun of Grace, but with the roles flipped. And it's all about motorbikes, not cars this time. So I would say that Grease 2 is very much the troll 2 of the movie musical genre. I have a lot of affection for this film. So I came to it as a child. I was already quite an established fan of the original Grease and was quite excited to know that there was a sequel to Grease. So my parents taped it off TV for me. I believe it was off like BBC or something. And I used to really, really enjoy this film. It was not until I approached it as an adult and was actually quite stunned. Like, in a way, it kind of insults the intelligence of the viewer to a point. I'm not really sure what demographic this film was written for. It's basically treating its audience like a baby. It's pretty obvious what's going on. But at the same time, are we supposed to embrace this campiness? I think to a point we are. But I do have this feeling that the filmmakers generally were trying to make a successful follow-up to 1978's Grease. I think in mind, they thought, yeah, this is going to be the next big thing. And it was because this film was essentially going to be a stepping stone to a much bigger franchise for Grease. It was going to hopefully follow on with a spin-off TV series and then a potential third sequel movie. Now, fun fact for you guys, the Grease fans will be aware of this anyway, but if you're not as familiar, the script for Grease 3 was written and it did evolve into becoming High School Musical, which wasn't released until the mid-2000s, so that's quite interesting. And at the time of recording, Paramount Plus have literally just released a series called The Rise of Pink Ladies, so Grease did get its own TV show in the end. I At this point, I haven't actually had a chance to watch it, but I am quite intrigued. It's a prequel to the first one, but I do hope there might be some genuine references to Grease 2 in it, because I hope it's not going to be one of those TV shows that just completely dismisses part of the legacy of this franchise. But yeah, Grease 2, it's just nonsensical. The whole film is random. There's just sequences in it that are just there, they happen, and then we move swiftly along without any reconciliation for anything. I was actually watching a facts video from one of my favourite film YouTubers, which is Minty Comedic Arts, and he did a whole video on Reese 2, and he summed it up perfectly, saying, like, there's a scene with bowling, they're going to sing about bowling. There's no real context other than that, and that kind of gives you the gist of what's in store in this film. Yeah, this is about three million plots going on at the same time, none of which are really satisfactorily resolved to any great degree. Yeah, yeah, there's a bowling thing. There's some tension between the two bike gangs, the T-Birds and the Cycle Lords. There's this cool rider thing going on. There's a talent show going on. There's whether or not Stephanie will be kicked out of the Pink Ladies. There's a new teacher coming in. There's weird asides at the high school with the principal which involves things like sounding an air raid siren to warn people of a nuclear attack. Anything is thrown into the mix in this movie. It's like they had five different scripts and glued them all together. And somebody said, well, how are we going to link them all up? It's like, oh, we don't care. Let's just put some musical numbers in around it. As to the musical numbers, they're okay. 
but there's nothing even a tenth as memorable as anything that's in the original Grease. I don't really think that you'll be remembering any of the songs, basically, when you've come out of this movie. They're okay while you're watching them, and the staging's pretty good. Choreography is on point. And the performances are okay. Michelle Pfeiffer clearly can carry a tune. All the other performers are pretty decent. Adrian Zmed, who plays Nogarelli, who's the leader of the Tebas, he was actually Johnny Zuko in Greece on Broadway. So he's got some pedigree. So everybody can do their job. It's just that they're stuck in this movie, which is just a, a mishmash of all sorts of high school cliches. But the best cliche of the lot is The Cool Rider. The Cool Rider is the one thing that you will remember this movie for. How does Michael get the girl of his dreams? Well, he knows that Stephanie likes a cool rider, a rider that's cool. So he gets some money together by writing essays for the rest of the T-Birds and then fixes up a bike, learns to ride it in about two seconds and then turns up to right wrongs and take on the cycle lords and be the cool rider. The central mystery of it is fairly transparent because you would think that Michael would disguise himself in some way so that he's got this like Clark Kent alter ego where he's swatty high school student by day, writer of wrongs, cool rider by night. The only thing that discerns Michael from the cool rider is he's got a pair of goggles on. And that's it. Just goggles. I was talking to Faye Ellis, who is one of the I Spit on Your Graves crew, about the disguise, to which she said, quote, it's not even a disguise, it's just a pair of fucking goggles. And a helmet. He has a helmet helmet as well. Yeah. But you'd think Stephanie as a character would actually like to see what this guy looks like. I mean, surely she's not that dumb that she's aware that it is Michael. I mean, maybe on a more intelligent level, we like to think that she knows it's Michael. She's going with it. She's living up to the fantasy. But I genuinely don't think she knows it's him. I think that's how the film plays this. And it's, as I say, it treats its audience like a baby. But we do have the gem of a musical number, Who's That Guy? (laughs) With some of the most hilarious lyrics in a movie musical, in my opinion. Everyone is just in awe of this mystery biker who's shown up out of nowhere, who's kicked the arses of the um, Scorpion Gang, I believe they were called. It's the, it's the, cy- the, the it's same the, character. It's the cycle, the cycle lords. The other guy. Oh well, maybe they've changed their name yeah. from the first movie. I, yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. Same. It's the same leader. I don't it know is, what yeah. he's still doing in high school by this point. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's a, that's another. Uh, questionable moment for Greece too but you know he's kicked their ass and everyone is just like admiring this guy and they're like who's this guy and my favorite point of this is where there's a scene of Michael on his bike just grinning and he doesn't sing out loud it's more of a voiceover and the the lyric goes what would they say if they knew it was Michael and (laughs) it's just they play it so straight (laughs) <laughs> and it just it's one of the most hilarious moments for me i just i just have to laugh every time i mean you say that you wouldn't necessarily remember the songs from this musical but honestly i remember them all lyric to lyric <laughs> i have to admit because i grew up watching this movie i've watched it several times i thoroughly enjoyed it i think i enjoy it more than the original i think it's just because it's got that so bad it's good quality 
I just can't help but be endeared to it. Something that, in terms of a plot point as well, that I was very critical in this film, I've only been recently made aware of, is I've always wondered with the whole talent show sequence at the end where nobody knows if Michael or such cool rider has tragically died in an accident before the talent show. And I'm sitting there thinking the film hasn't made this clear. Michael was meant to be playing the piano for this talent show. So yeah. who is playing the piano? Now, there was allegedly a deleted scene filmed where Michael, as Michael, goes to speak to Stephanie before the talent show. So he's there. Now, I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about all this because from a logical point of view, I think it was needed so that we're not having to suspend our disbelief wondering who the hell is playing the piano, like everything's going on as normal. But at the same time, does it kill the whole vibe of her being really upset? Because obviously we've seen that he's still there. But of course she doesn't know it's him. So she's got this fantasy leader of the pack type guy in her head that has um, gone to biker heaven. And we're meant to really invest in this emotional moment. And I know, Darren, this sequence for you is is um, one of your favourites in the film. It is, yeah. It's brilliant. I mean, partly because it's a ridiculous sequence that Michelle Pfeiffer really sells. You really feel that she's going through the mill with this sequence. Love Will Turn Back the Hands of Time has one of the greatest portrayals of what heaven looks like. It's biker heaven. And Michelle Pfeiffer is drifting around in this white dress and this kind of silvery glow for Michael's character. It's brilliant. I'm not saying it's any good. But it's brilliant. I was, I've always liked this sequence, and I'm always in bits when I watch it. And I was this time. I thought that the years might have diminished its power, but I was falling about. And you can't have a go at a movie that's got this sort of sequence in it because it is so ridiculous and so over the top and so impossible to take seriously that. It's quite endearing. But at the same time, as I said, Michelle Pfeiffer, they've said, you know, you're distraught. You think the cool rider's dead. You need to sell some grief in there. In the middle of this absolutely preposterous musical number with preposterous staging and this weird 1960s musical version of the Pearly Gates and he's he's on this rock and he's kind of silhouetted. And Michelle Pfeiffer really does give a good performance in this. She's far better than this movie deserves. And it came to pass that she was in loads and loads of great stuff and has had a brilliant career. She was great in this movie. And I think, basically, she was a bit of a wild card choice for the casting. I don't think she was the first choice. But somebody went with her because they said, oh, she's got this quirky quality about her. So it could work. And even in a movie that's absolute rubbish from start to finish. Entertaining rubbish, I'll grant you. But absolute rubbish. Michelle Pfeiffer is not rubbish in this movie. I can't remember who said this. It was in a review and I, I apologise that I can't quote you. But they said that Michelle Pfeiffer is cool in this movie just because of who she is. She's not mean. She's just cool. Which I think is quite nice, really, because she doesn't treat people like shit. She's just cool because of who she is. And that is quite refreshing. So before I turn it into a Michelle Pfeiffer love fest, because my... Feelings about Michelle Pfeiffer and her acting career are well known, especially from the Witches of Eastwick episode. Back to the business of Grease 2's randomness. Specifically, the end of term luau, 
what what's going on there it's like yes we've we've got this talent show but now we've we've done with the talent show we're straight on to the luau a, a luau it's not hawaii it's like oh yeah yeah that's just a natural thing at the end of term how are we gonna celebrate getting through another year of school oh let's have a luau of course the luau is interrupted by the bad bikers and then the bad bikers are interrupted from doing their very very minor damage to the luau by cool rider for a final showdown it's nonsense this movie it's nonsense but it's nonsense that you will actually enjoy it doesn't know when to stop this movie the <laughs> musical numbers seem to go on for absolutely ever and it's at some point where it's like right we've run out of steam now let's move on to the next one i mean the opening bit the back to school number that felt like it was going on for about half an hour because every time it stops it restarts again and then they throw some more characters in and you think oh it must be over now no no it restarts again they throw some more characters in it's like right surely it's over now no no some more characters let's restart this again i know it's not half the movie but the credit sequence of the opening song seems to go on forever which <laughs> it's just bizarre but i guess law of sequels everything is bigger better longer more extreme but when is this going to stop and we had a chat offline and it was this case of there are too many characters in this movie they are just throwing characters into the plot it's like we need to know that there's backstories for all these other characters and that this person you've never seen before comes in and there's a kid that hangs around with the pink ladies and there's various members of the t-birds and then there's this acapella singing group and frenchy's back and eugene's back and how many characters do you need in one movie? Frenchie in particular. Frenchie seems completely redundant to this plot, apart from the fact that she knows Sandy from the first one and Michael is Sandy's cousin. And apparently the filming was so chaotic that DD Com was only there for the first half of filming and then I think had to go off and do something else. So Frenchie basically disappears an hour into this movie. But also, as you said about how many people have had to repeat the high school years, I mean, Frenchie, she's studying chemistry for some reason now. She wants to do beautician stuff and it's chemistry. But Frenchie is going to take so long to graduate high school that she's just going to retire immediately. Frenchie's about 45 in this movie. So you know, <laughs> I like the, like the, the guy, the, the bad biker gang leader. I mean, he clearly is about to go into a retirement home. I mean, he needs a Zimmer frame. When, when he pulls up, I was thinking like, well, why is this guy hanging around a high school? He should have a job. It's ridiculous. But you don't consider all of this stuff when you're watching Grease 2. It's not meant to be... It's not Dangerous Minds, is it, really? It's not It's not a portrayal of an inner-city high school. It's just bonkers. And they do lean into the bonkers stuff quite a bit. Yeah, recurring characters in this movie is something that I definitely wanted to touch upon because, as you say, it's absolutely relentless. The story goes that they hadn't actually finished writing the script and that's why Frenchie is written out an hour into the film. There's one deleted scene where apparently she is helping Michael learn how to ride the motorcycle and that's the last appearance we see of her. Other than just bringing back familiar faces to attract the, the fan base of Greece, that's the only reason for this, but they don't get characters that people would actually want to see, like the, the favourites. I mean, I think Frenchie is about the best they're going to have in this film. 
there was a rumour that they were going to cast uh, Jeff Conway as the bowling alley manager, but that never came to fruition. So, I mean, that would have been a fun cameo. Again, doesn't really add anything. I'm really confused about Eugene and why he's there. I assumed he was the same year as the characters from the original Greece, which obviously took place in the 50s. We're in 1961 now. I don't really understand what's happening. Of course, we get the teachers back, and I think that's a given because that's the most realistic point of this film where you can imagine the same teachers would still be at Rydell by this point. So, okay, that's that's one bit of praise I will give to this movie. <laughs> but going back to what you were saying about Michelle Pfeiffer as well as, as Stephanie, I mean, I have to say, I think I preferred Stephanie as a character to Sandy in Greece. I don't know if that's controversial, but I just liked her a lot more. I think she's edgier and as you say she's just got that cool vibe about her and she's quite fierce and independent as well she's not like simpering over a guy in the same way I suppose Sandy was with Danny in the original and she doesn't change herself for anybody but obviously we've got the role reversal in this film where it is the guy who changes for the girl so I mean we still have that whole big red flag waving over Greece 2 that we had in Greece 1 just with gender swap so there is that there, but oh, there's just so much going on. I mean, what is with that teacher who's having a mental breakdown and on pills? And like yeah. that, that to me, to this day, is very, very bizarre. I don't understand its inclusion or purpose. And to the point where he falls into the swimming pool in the luau at the end, and then he's bone dry in the next scene. <laughs> that is just a weird moment because you've not seen him really at any point up to that moment. And then he's wandering around. He walks into the swimming pool and then he's kind of face down. And I thought, well, I mean, I think the first time I thought, I thought, oh, God, has he drowned? Because he's face down in the pool. I mean, I know that 80s movies weren't the shining beacon of light in terms of portrayals of mental illness. But this is, I mean, this is so dodgy because they're making a point that, like, this guy's had a nervous breakdown. And then the first thing he does is he just walks into the pool. I don't think that would have been funny even then. I mean, now it's it's horrifying. Yeah, again, it's just, it seems like, what can we do in this scene? It does seem chaotic. It does seem that things were done on the fly. And that's possibly true because it's like, right, what will work in this scene? Oh, let's do this. Can we put this in this scene? Right, okay, let's give that a go. It just seems that anything that they want to throw into Greece to, they do. And then just leave it there. And don't have to explain why it's there or if it leads to anywhere. Because quite often, it doesn't. The guy who's had a nervous breakdown, you never see him again. He's, he's walked into the pool. They, they kind of drag him out. He's bone dry, as you say. And then, you know, it's passed off. It's like, there we go. Let's go to something else. It's like somebody with ADD wrote and directed this movie it's like right i've had enough of that right I've, we've done this for 30 seconds let's go over here and do this right okay that's boring now let's go over and do this we need a bit of cool rider let's put a bit of cool rider in right we've had enough cool rider now let's go back to the t-birds right we've had enough of the t-birds let's go back to stephanie no let's not do stephanie let's go somewhere and it's just jumping about all the time this movie it doesn't stick on any plot point for longer than about 30 seconds before it's flying off somewhere else and some of the musical numbers are just stuck in there because it's like this seems quite a fun thing to do the reproduction musical number it's got nothing to do with the rest of the movie 
it's just a mildly suggestive and rude song about reproduction to introduce the substitute teacher give tap hunter a bit of a singing role that's pretty much it it doesn't have any bearing on what came before or, or what comes after there's a little bit of a connection in that michael is writing a paper about reproductive habits for one of the t-birds and it's one of the papers he's getting paid for but that's all you see they didn't need to put that in there but no grease 2's mo is like right let's just have a four or five minute musical number about this does it matter if it connects to the rest of the movie of course it doesn't let's just have some people singing and that's why grease 2 goes on for like is it 114 minutes like an hour 54 something like that that stunned me because when I decided to look up how long this film is, just for my, my own knowledge, I was like, it can't be nearly two hours. That's wrong. I was like, no, it doesn't go on that long. And I think because it's so enjoyable, it does go quite quickly. But I did find myself thinking moments were dragging. I mean, as we said, the back to school number at the beginning, it's just too much, too long. And I don't ever remember it being that long. But that musical number ends when the random guy jumps through the window. And again, that's just another random, hilarious moment in the film. It's a very horny film, let's just mm, put it that way. It it's just It's all about sex. And I think it all culminates in reproduction because, I mean, it is hilarious. It is hilarious. And I'm sure they must have had a lot of fun filming that because the lyrics are ridiculous. They're a bit cringy, but it, it's just really funny. And kind of off topic, but I remember back in the day, me and my friend used to find this edit somebody made on youtube of clips from harry potter and the goblet of fire with reproduction overlaid on top of it and it it was just funny i hope that video is still on youtube because it, it was so much joy just so funny but then yeah it's, things just go on i mean my worst song in this whole film is charades now, whether it is the hopelessly devoted to you of Greece 2, I'm assuming that's what they were going with, but it's such a bizarre musical sequence because we just have him in a busy cafeteria and he starts singing his thoughts. Like, so it's again, that voiceover, but then you can't quite hear what he's singing about to start with because the sound in the cafeteria is overpowering him. So they never quite edited that as it should have been. And then it just goes off and on. And then he is actually singing to a point, but it just looks really out of place and comes out of nowhere. And no disrespect to Maxwell Caulfield, but he just doesn't have the strongest singing voice and, as you say, the star power to carry this. So it's just a really monotonous song with a really monotone voice. And I just can't, I just, just don't feel that song adds anything. And it's another one that just goes on and on and on. So, yeah, that is my worst moment in this film yeah i have to say as well the bowling scene we have the highest pitched note ever in a musical that i to my knowledge which again is so much joy it's when the johnny character is kind of gliding down the bowling alley and for an extended period it has this squeal and it's just i don't know it's, it's just everything it's, it's just too too funny this movie has a lot of charm to it, a lot of very strange moments and a lot of random moments, but something about it does work. And as we've said, there is that nostalgia element, that charm element to it. And I think because it, it's just a batshit film, it's just so entertaining. And I, I to this day, still really enjoy it. Grease 2 is one of those movies that I feel like everyone should watch at least once in their life, maybe multiple times 
if they're strange like me but I honestly think for me it is just kind of nostalgia actually as a child thinking it was a really good film and enjoying it but now I'm just loving this because I can see how ridiculous it is but so good another song that I don't like in it as well that I feel just drags things down is the do it for our country where it is basically about the um nuclear test and how one of the t-birds is pretending to go to fight in the war just to get laid as i say mm. this really contributes to the horniness of this film as a kid all this stuff went over my head and i find that hilarious now actually understanding all the lyrics but that bit really slows it down and, and I think it's then proving as well how it's inundated with too many characters because it's like no we don't really care about this let's move on and then you've got this whole weird scenario with Johnny and Stephanie and Paulette and it's like what is going on here he can't let go of Stephanie she doesn't want him he's got a new girlfriend who's Stephanie's friend but it's just the way it's all portrayed they argue about it for a bit and then it's forgotten about so you forget about it and then it comes back as I said previously, it just hops about. And it's hopping about so much, you do forget. You do lose track of what's happened elsewhere in the movie. Definitely agree with you about charades. It's the play for hopelessly devoted to you that this movie is making. It is nowhere near as good a song as hopelessly devoted to you. And sorry, Maxwell, you don't sell that kind of song as well as Olivia Newton-John does. Hopelessly devoted to you is a, is a fucking amazing song. I defy anybody to say it's not fucking amazing. This, it is. It's just a dirge. It just plods and it plods. And you're right, the staging of it is weird because he doesn't sing all of it. It's in his mind for most of it. And then all of a sudden he does break out into song and it doesn't work. So it's not really a montage. What is it meant to be? I don't get it. And definitely they do it for our country number. It's basically the glorification of a sex pest. Because he is just trying to get into the pants of this woman and doing it through the medium of song. He doesn't. She rejects his advances at the end, which is a good thing. But it is just all predicated on the fact that I am going to pretend that we're under nuclear attack so that I can get my end away. No, we don't want to see that. That's terrible behaviour. At least this movie has got strong female characters because basically none of the pink ladies take any shit from any of the blokes, which is great. Least of all, Stephanie, at one point she says something like, I don't need to be somebody's chick. Of course you don't. That's brilliant. So there's a lot to commend Grease to in its attitudes, even if it's not the greatest musical ever, and even if you can see the joins and you just think, why did they make this decision in various places of this movie? But it's a fun movie. I'm not saying that by any stretch of normal movie reviewing, that it is a good movie. Some people will go in this and come out saying, that was absolutely dreadful. But part of the charm of Grease 2 for me is that it is absolutely dreadful. And you should go with it. If you go in thinking that you're going to have fun with it and you're just going to let everything wash over you, regardless of how poorly put together and ridiculous it is, I think you'll have a good time. It's not meant to be great art. I know that they were trying to do something that would better the original. And there's something to be said for a movie that tries to swing for the fences. And this really does. doesn't work. But what were you going to do? They couldn't have a retread of the first movie. You don't want to see Grease twice. If you're going to see Grease twice, watch the original twice. You have to have something different. 
and at least they're actually trying something in this movie. It doesn't come off, but at the same time, I've got a lot of respect for something that's so out there in terms of sequels that I do have a modicum of respect for this because if you're going to crash, just crash and burn. And this really does crash and burn. And it does it in such an entertaining way. I defy anybody not to be at least slightly entertained by what's going on here. Even though it emulates the plot of the first one, it does try and do its own thing in certain ways. I mean, it kind of has counterparts for the big moments in Greece. You've got the talent show in place of the high school dance, and then you've got the luau in place of fun fair. It's just being inventive with existing concepts that the first movie had to offer. But I don't know, I think that talent show, like they have really quite impressive costumes for a high school talent yeah. show. It's almost on some sort of professional level. But again, the talent show has a really bizarre moment where there's this random guy in like a, a satin green suit singing and grabbing onto the teacher's skirt. I mean, what's with that? I mean, this this is layered with so many gems that I don't think people talk about enough when they talk about Grease 2. I think you just get the overarching plot of the main characters, but there's just so many weird moments in this that needs to be discussed and, and, and need to be highlighted. Yeah, there's so much stuff going on around the edges in this movie. All of it just weird. And you do tend to get that sort of stuff lost in the shuffle. The talent show is full of complete lunatics. Somebody playing an accordion. There's some kind of flamenco dancing going on. I mean, the T-Bird's number, you don't really get to hear much of it. You've already heard it previously, so you get to hear the end of it again. Yeah, you're right. I mean, in terms of budgetary constraints, there seems to be none applied to the talent show because there's big production numbers going on there. The guys who are the a cappella group who get kidnapped by the T-Birds so they can't perform, you hear them earlier performing Mr. Sandman. For me, every time I hear Mr. Sandman, I think of the end of Halloween 2, regardless of what movie it's in. And I know that it's nothing to do with this movie, but as soon as they break into Mr. Sandman, I think, Halloween 2. That's just the way my mind works. But it's nice to be reminded of Halloween 2 in a completely different movie. But yeah, it is just bigger, wilder. I think they hoped better. But they're cramming this sequel with so much stuff that there's got to be something that you can take away from this movie because its attention to minor characters is far more than it should be to the point where you're just being bombarded by different things happening. Even the most innocuous of characters get their moment in the spotlight. Apart from Eugene, who just seems to spend his time sitting up there waiting to dump leaves on people. I think Eugene gets sold a bit short in this movie. Frenchie does get at least a couple of sequences in there before she vanishes because the script wasn't there. There is going to be a problem. If you're shooting from an unfinished script, there's bound to be issues. But to be honest, Grease 2 is so random. If somebody hadn't told me that the script was unfinished, I would just put it down to the fact that that's how Grease 2 operates because it's just chucking stuff at the wall and hoping that something is going to stick. It's got a fair old panning down the years. I think Maybe people have come to warm to it a little bit more over the years. But I think, regardless of the fact that, yes, there are issues with the actual movie itself, 
but I do enjoy Grease too, and partly it's, it's my love of bad movies, but there's stuff that's actually genuinely good, specifically Michelle Pfeiffer's performance, but other people in the movie are really good as well. I mean, Christopher McDonald as one of the T-Birds, he's brilliant. Adrian Smed, yeah, I mean, he's no Travolta, he doesn't have that kind of sass that Travolta had in the original, but he's pretty good as well, and he's good at the comedy stuff, and the male characters have been dialed down a bit, so they're not quite as sleazy, and I'm not going to say awful, but in the first movie, you get the feeling that these guys are just treating women as kind of slabs of meat. In the second one, it's kind of sending that up. They're trying to emulate that sort of behaviour, but at the same time, the script's saying, well, you know, these guys, they're not very good at it to start with, and the women are always going to outwit them. It's fun on that level. So anybody that just says there's nothing really redeemable about Grease 2, I think that's completely off the mark. There's stuff in this movie that is genuinely good. Even if it doesn't all hang together, I do like this movie, I have to say, and I don't care what anybody thinks about it. I like this movie. Yeah, I'm singing from the same hymn sheet as you there. I have to say, Cool Rider is a pretty good song. I think that is the standout number in this and Michelle Pfeiffer's performance. As you said, she already had that star power. Interestingly, Maxwell Caulfield had been helmed as the next John Travolta or Richard Gere after starring in this. And because the movie flopped so hard, his career just went stagnant and it was a bit of like a tumbleweed moment for him while he had to watch his co-star's star rise even higher. And the behind-the-scenes facts about it is that Michelle Pfeiffer and Maxwell Caulfield didn't really get on which I find so interesting because it does pay off on screen with their chemistry. I would not have guessed that they didn't like each other at all based on their performances. So I think they have managed to convince the audience and help us buy into that love story, even though if it's not the most appealing romantic lead, in my opinion. But I think they do a pretty decent job of that. So that's really interesting. This movie is a lot of fun, and I think its batshit nature and baffling moments just really make it charming. I mean, as you say, there's just so much going on in it. Another moment, the twins, there's these twin cheerleaders, and then they have this song singing about some guy called Brad. It's nothing to do with the plot. It's just part of the talent show. It's like we literally get to see an insight into everything that goes on in this school. You have another great moment where... After reproduction, this random student goes to the principal saying that she's missed her last two periods, to which the principal says, don't worry, you can make them up after class before the realisation hits. It's just just the best. And I think, obviously, as you say, this film is a lot more feminist than we really thought. And I think it helped having a female director at the helm. And it was ahead of its time in that way. Not many movies were directed by women in the early 80s, especially Hollywood-style movies. So I think that this is, yeah, looking back on it, it does have a lot to say about feminism and in terms of writing strong female characters who, as you say, aren't going to take any crap from these guys. And I think that's the appeal of these two in a lot of ways. There is, you know, so many strong points to it and so many terrible points to it. But you can't deny that this film is unforgettable. And I think it has reached that cult status. I think if I had to choose if I was going to watch Grease or Grease 2, it's going to be Grease 2 every time for me. Maybe I've just got a soft spot for the underdog here, but I like Grease. But then 
it's just not my favourite. And I just think Breeze 2 just has so much more in it that's going to keep me engrossed, even if some sequences go on for a bit longer than they should. But anyway, what do the critics think? Well, on Rotten Tomatoes, we have a 35% tomato meter and a 53% audience score, which goes to show that people don't think this is absolutely terrible. It's very much got average rating. Mm. And then on IMDb, it's currently scored as 4.5 out of 10. I'd have given it a little bit more than that because I just think this movie has something about it. It's one that I keep returning to every now and then. And obviously, we're both especially excited to cover it for the podcast. So if you're going to be miserable about this film, there's no point. Because, yes, it is a bad movie, but it is one of the best bad movies of all time. Yeah, and the comparison to being the Troll 2 of musicals is pretty much spot on. It's got so many quotable lines for completely the wrong reasons. I mean, yeah, there are good jokes. The joke about missing the period, that that's a good joke. That's a good joke. But there's other things that just fall completely flat, but are memorable because they fall so completely flat. And regardless of the fact you could love this movie, you could absolutely hate this movie, but you're never going to forget watching this movie. You will remember Grease 2. You may not remember the musical numbers. You may not remember some of the characters because there's about 200 characters in this, so you'll probably forget most of them. But you will not forget watching Grease 2 as an experience, good or bad. It's out there. It's on its own. It may not do everything it needs to. It may not It may not do anything. It may just be a sequence of unconnected stuff that is out of the mind of somebody who thought, right, let's just do everything we can with this high school and no detail will be left unturned and we're just going to throw everything at this movie we possibly can and if we get something out at the end, great. I like that sort of movie making. It might frustrate quite a lot of people if you just go in there thinking, I want a beginning, a middle and an end and I just want a progression of the story and I just want a small number of characters that I can care about. This is going to drive you fucking insane because it doesn't know what it wants to be. It's reinventing itself every five minutes. The love triangle, as you said, it's introduced, it's dropped, it's put back in, it's dropped again, it's put back in, it's dropped again. Then it seems to have finished. No, no, they're pulling it back in. I guess people who like Jess Franco movies might like Grease too, because everything is just like, right, okay, I've got no idea where this is coming from, but there you go. This is on screen. This is what's happening now. We don't care if we've made no reference to it previously. This is what's happening in the movie now. <laughs> and I, I enjoy that sort of movie making, but I can understand why people might get frustrated by it. And the reveal at the end, when they finally get to know who the cool rider is, that whole oh, it's him moment. You just feel like saying, of course it's him. How did you not know it was him? It's completely fucking obvious who this guy's been. But oh my God, it's him. Really? Has everybody had a mind wipe in this high school? It's obvious who the guy was. Even if you'd been at that high school for two minutes, you would know that the cool rider was Michael. But now everybody's like, oh my God, it's the last person that we could have thought it was. No, it isn't. There's a very small list of suspects. It can't be any of the T-Birds. It can't be any of the bad guys. It's going to be virtually nobody in the high school. 
Who else is there? Oh, it's the new guy. Oh, no, the new guy's really swatty. No, he can't be the cool rider. Of course it's him. It can't be anybody else. And in case you were unclear by this point in the podcast, the cool rider is, in fact, Michael. Can you believe it? <laughs> but, yeah, that said, a lot of love for Greece too. I think we could talk about it endlessly because there's just so much to unpack so i really hope you've enjoyed this episode and tell us your favorite greeks 2 moments and tell us about your first experience watching it and what you thought because obviously i was like an innocent six-year-old thinking this is a really good musical not understanding what reproduction was <laughs> this film taught me about reproduction before school did so you know it's kudos there to it and it's a pg yeah let's not forget the movie is rated pg as well so you know fun for all the family <laughs> lots of awkward questions for parents there <laughs> with some of the content uh, yeah i mean i was i was a teenager when i saw it and my reaction was what the hell did i just watch Basically, it's the same reaction I've had ever since. But I'm glad I watched it. I've got a special amount of affection for this movie. And I can't explain my love for Grease 2 rationally. My reviewing side would just say, everything about this movie, you should be hammering it. Because none of it really works. I don't care. I don't care about that. There's something about this. I'm not saying it's classic, but I love this movie. It's so misjudged. It's so misjudged that it's brilliant. Absolutely. No, I completely agree with that. And as you say, and it's, it's an experience and that, that's what you need sometimes. A joyous movie experience that makes no sense. And that, my friends, is Grease 2. I do wish we could chat longer. And that was episode 96 of the HD Movie Podcast. As always, thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode and would like to check out our future content and previous episodes, you can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at HD Movie Podcast. Coming up, episode 97. And we're leaving Rydell High and the early 60s. We're going bang up to date for a high-tech horror thriller. It's 2023's Megan, directed by Jared Johnston. And we will be looking at both the theatrical cut and the unrated version, which is very exciting because it promises a lot more blood and gore. So we will see how the two versions compare. I'm very hyped for this episode because I absolutely love Megan, if you didn't know that already. Until then, stay safe, everybody, and we'll see you soon. The HD Movie Podcast is presented by Hayley Alice Roberts and Darren Gaskell. Its music is written and performed by Mitch Bay. You can find the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Samsung Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podchaser, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Listen Notes and Podbean.